Welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. As always, I'm Justin, and I am joined by... Oh, shit. Uh, the Tea Time Beth. Slap Chop Sam. <laughs> and I'm Caleb. Oh, no. Hello, <laughs> all of you. <laughs> Question is open whether all of you refers to all of us collectively on this podcast or just the multitude of Caleb's? We don't know. None of we us never know. know. <laughs> I'm me, Caleb. By the end of this book, we will just all be Caleb. <laughs> we am Caleb. By the end of this book, uh, Caleb will, will number as many as the uh, cast list. Uh, that'll be exciting. <laughs> Which is, I believe, it's probably around 24 at this point, which I don't know if you can get much higher than that. Somewhere around 24, it's a lot. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah, we, we yeah. were, like, every single main character just starts collecting a big crew this section. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is. It's every chapter has has their own crew. It's true. Oh. <laughs> I, Serene practically got... It was more in the last section, but she practically gets like a sitcom intro worth of just family members popping out of every corner. Mm -hmm. Sure does. Brady Bunch theme plays in the background. And then this week she goes to meet the the rest of the gang. She goes to the the office oh God, theme yeah. sitcom. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Rayodin is explicitly described as starting his own gang. Yeah. So, and <laughs> Rathen just needed to keep up. That's why he's getting his squad. <laughs> Everyone exactly. else is doing it. I guess I'll find some politician people. <laughs> Let's hop into it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Woo. All right. Uh, yeah. Today we read chapters nine, ten, eleven, and twelve, uh, with the four the four chapters with the the three character rotation it means that we will be starting and ending with Kraythan, uh, and then seeing the other two in between. So last we saw uh, Kraythan had been during his uh, his wall-top sermon and first major encounter with Serene. And so right here we have uh, the follow-up to that with a, a moderate reaction from Kraythan, and a worryingly extreme reaction from Diloph, which is probably one of those universal sentences. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you did it. You broke the two of them down to their bare essentials. <laughs> yeah, I, I am excited to see where the Diloph thing goes, but they are really putting it on strong that, like, this, this dude is very unhinged. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, my notes for this chapter. This is just going to be like every Hraithan chapter from here on out, seemingly. But chapter 9, page 118, Hraithan uh, POV, Diloph mad. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's <laughs> there pretty, you go. That's pretty <laughs> accurate. Continue. I also, before I get too far into it, I forget what page it's on, but there is a point in this chapter that refers to the speech on Elantris's wall, which seems to suggest it's a singular one speech, which then makes, again, going back, that weird timeline from the last couple chapters real wacky. Yeah, there's something going on here. Time there's no travel. Time travel it would in the Cosby, though. This, but this was so early on. Maybe he didn't have those rules set in place yet. Ooh, that's, that's true. true. Very, very. I, I, I mean, there is time travel into the future. 
all of these characters are time traveling into the future at the rate of one second per second. <laughs> yes. Is it possible to learn this power? <laughs> I mean, like, literally, actually, time travel into the future is a thing that is allowed in the Cosmere. But... Through, like, FTL travel, right? Uh, mostly. There's a couple of magical ways to do it, too. But, yeah. Mostly, it means that, like, characters showing up way later in the timeline than their lifespan would normally indicate, totally fine. Uh, creating time paradoxes by doing weird interfering with the past stuff, not gonna happen. Yet. Sure. <laughs> oh, and word of advice, uh, if, you're, if we're ever gonna start sending people out to other planets, don't go on the first ship, because you will not arrive first. Yeah, it's quite likely you will get passed by a better ship that gets constructed in the meantime. This is a legitimate, like, documented theory. So don't be on the first ship. I know it's tempting. Is it? I, I, well, I don't know. And sometimes if you're on the first ship, you're going to land on a planet with, like, mile-high waves. I'm sorry, I was rewatching scenes from Interstellar, and there's some really good scenes in that movie. That scene slaps. And gave my mom nightmares. <laughs> oh, it's terrifying, but it's very good. Yeah, she she doesn't like water. <laughs> That's no mountain. <laughs> it's almost as uh, tall as the walls of Elantris. There we go. Yay! <laughs> we're back. Uh, yeah, no, we we're seeing the the immediate outcome of uh, of of the encounter at the wall top. Uh, where Hraithen is uh, very complimentary of uh, of Serene and her oratory, even though you know we were somewhat less so with the the feigning ignorance was was starting to wear. But we did also say that it is a technique that does work, and it seems like Hraithen is also uh, willing to engage in in kind of further rhetorical combat. Uh, meanwhile. Diloph, uh, partially because of the, the things that, that she was saying against his religion, uh, but also, you know, just good old-fashioned racism, uh, really, really hates Serene. Yep. Good old-fashioned racism. Which is, uh, you know, I'm, like, internalized racism is also a thing. I'm not trying to say that that's unrealistic, but Raythan had an observation a couple chapters ago that Teo and Aralon are considered of the same race, so mm -hmm. the fact that Diloff is racist against her is that's right. Diloff is sure is something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we see again, kind of the uh, the conflict here between Hraithan's uh, genuine desire to convert the people of Aralon and probably of of Teo as well, and like truly unite the world under both the rule of the Fjordal Empire and also the the worship of of Jadeth. And Diloph wants to take the, I guess, much more direct route of the whole world will be under the Fjordal Empire if we just conquer and or kill everyone who isn't. Yes, great, Diloph. Yeah, but perfect. That's how you win <laughs> hearts and minds. Ah, there's and by there's no chance that this unfocused, cataclysmic rage monster will backfire on Hraithen at all. 
<laughs> never going to happen. He just keep him channeled properly. It's going to be just fun. Has to, just has to keep the, the, the uh, wall of teeth pointed in the right direction. <laughs> this, is, this is one of those, like, twists that feel so foreshadowed that I'm worried it won't happen and Diloph will just continue to be an unhinged but still loyal soldier to Raithen for the entire book. Right. <laughs> so we will see what uh, how the, the two of these people progress here uh, but the next part of their their plan is already uh, starting to take effect as Raithen has arranged a meeting with several of the uh, K nobility, uh, and so they they have they have showed up to to listen to what he has to say. I think it's a, a neat little redirect that uh, starts this off with uh, Idan saying, "You know, you you said you were going to give this big speech, but it seemed like you just confused people because of what Serene <laughs> was saying of of you know playing dumb and asking all these these questions." Uh, and Hraithen goes goes with well it confused her but obviously you know we can't we can't judge everything based on what this one woman from Tio thinks you of course were all very much on board and and following all of what i was saying of course <laughs> you're smarter than some woman right <laughs> obviously but hey, this is where that whole strategy of like playing happy and stupid backfires because this is just what yeah. people do and then you're like you win the battle you lose the fuck out of the war right and now you can't like try again because everybody's like oh it's that stupid girl again <laughs> right it's you, you know you can't like it's it's one of those what is the the thing about like uh when uh, if, if it's a group of people pretending to be idiots eventually they just become indistinguishable from actual idiots <laughs> <laughs> Or if later she's like, I was just pretending to be dumb. It's like, well, now I clearly can't trust you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. There may have to be some some strategy adjustments from Serene there. But the the meeting here, this is uh, this is a small group, but it is a uh, a group who have come to listen directly to what Hraithan has to say. Mm-hmm. And, and Hraithan uh, likes to sit when he gives speeches like a slam poet. He does sit. And uh, he, he says that uh, it, it makes the people who are still standing feel uncomfortable. It is. I think it's it's cool that we get to see a lot of this from Hraithan's point of view. Because not, not entirely in a manipulative way. He has clearly thought a lot about the presentation of of the of the things that he's talking about and like it's there's a little bit of a of a manipulative side in there of, of like you know he's trying all these tricks to to convince people but it's also you could also say you know he's just he has studied public speaking and and rhetoric and presentation <laughs> and that kind of thing and i i think that's a, an interesting way to look at it because we see it from his his side of the table yeah, I think my favorite line of the chapter comes towards the end, but it's it was beneficial to have a reputation for honesty, if only so that one could lie at crucial moments. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it, I think it's very telling to to get down to the minutia of, am I going to sit or stand for the next handful of pages? I think that says a lot about 
how Rathen approaches these sorts of conversations and how, like, well thought out every single part of his approach is. Yeah, and he really does have to think through every detail of it because he does not have the benefit of being able to give his speeches off screen. So um, <laughs> he actually has to put work into it. <laughs> is that what happened? Brandon wrote a book full of speeches from Rath and was just like, this is too Fuck much. Fuck this, never again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we have uh, a small group here, uh, including Duke Tellery, who we've we've heard mentioned before. Uh, as one of the the kind of key players, uh, one of the the most powerful uh, in the the kingdom besides the king, uh, and he wasn't specifically invited, but he has come to attend this meeting. So interesting note there. Yeah, it mentions that he was looking for later on. It mentions he was looking for younger nobles, which makes the line make way more sense. But before Raytham thinks that, he notices that Tellery is older, perhaps in his late forties. And for a second, I was like. Late 40s is like the oldest person in the room. I, I'm in my 20s and I already feel just completely outdone by everything happening here. So let me think. This was... Brandon is, is in his fi- mid-50s now. He probably wrote this 20 years ago. So he was in his mid-30s. Mm. So yeah, the, 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 the older crew who are actually 40. Ugh old people <laughs> deep apologies to any of our listeners <laughs> just any of them <laughs> including brandon <laughs> Brandon. <laughs> uh, i mean if brandon's listening then hi we love your stuff would love to <laughs> you know have a, a guest call in or something yeah yeah come on in come chat with us and we're all loving elantris <laughs> equally Oh, Explain yeah. why you, you, you call 25-year-old women unmarried spinsters. <laughs> so Hraithen, uh begins his, his actual discussion here. Uh, and his point that he, he starts with is that the Elantrians are a danger. Uh, which at first doesn't seem very convincing uh, Iden points out, you know, they've been dead, or at least a close approximation to dead for for a decade, and they're not going to do anything. Uh, but Hraithen says that it's it's not the actual physical people in there; it's the the kind of specter of power that the city and the people there still still project. You know, people remember what the Elantrians could do; they remember what happened when they fell and you know there's there's a a lingering question about what happens if they come back or or something else similarly dramatic happens yeah there's some cool like humanities thoughts in here i love the note of um yeah everyone kind of thinks about elantrians as these like mythological things even though they were only from 10 years ago and they weren't that great um, but everyone just kind of, as time progresses, everyone looks back at different ages and kind of mythologi- myth- mythologizes. Yeah, I think that's it. Mythologizes them um, a little bit. I thought it was a cool detail. And Kraythan kind of acknowledging that and also weaponizing it at the same time is really cool. He goes on to point out something that I don't think is uh, much of a stretch from what we've seen of uh, of Iodon thus far uh, in that Hraithan says that his his rule 
doesn't seem very solid. Uh, we've seen, you know, we've seen how the man himself behaves. Uh, we've also heard from Keen and some of the other, I think Lukel also mentioned some of it, of how because of the way that this system is set up, where it, it is uh, the rules explicitly tied to wealth, uh, that's a very temporary thing, potentially. And so, yeah, Hraithan says, if if Iodon doesn't maintain power, the titles that he gave to all of you don't mean anything either. So you need to think about what that could mean going into the future. I didn't write very many notes for this. I was just vibing. <laughs> this, is, this is a really like he does a good job of converting people mm -hmm. um and then we get to the, to ramir and i just spent my time roasting him that's fair hey he roasting wants results ramir. man he wants answers concrete yeah okay how is this gonna make me rich <laughs> when we do get toward towards the end of this uh of this first part of hraithan's discussion uh i i do think it's it's kind of it's a little funny to see the back and forth where uh, Hraithan is uh, heavily implying some things, talking about some of the other places that the Fjordal Empire has taken hold of. There, there's a, a very knowing, if you are the ones who publicly support Fjordal rule uh, and, and publicly support the religion as well, then you will be financially rewarded. Uh, and... Uh, Ramir, yeah, is is the one who just outright says it. He says, if we convert to Shudareth, will you pay us? And <laughs> Hraithan is, is very, you know, well, Jadith rewards all of his followers. Is he going to reward us? Me following him, will I be rewarded? <laughs> Me want land. Yeah. <laughs> Me want money. Make God give me money. <laughs> and then Hraithan says the strangest sentence I've ever seen. Aralon has remained untouched for so long because we haven't bothered to spare the effort it would take to convert her. Does that mean, so, like, spare the effort to convert her, it would take to convert her, so we haven't bothered to have people, like, the... Uh, I'm a little lost. That one short-circuited <laughs> me a little bit, too. I was like, so, but it had, so you had the effort and you just didn't want to put it in, I guess, but now you are, you're the effort. You, Hraithan is the effort. I need my, my seventh grade effort. teacher here in a in a sentence diagram. You gotta break out the whiteboard on that one. Oh no. <laughs> and then I wrote, How is that a lie? What does it mean? <laughs> it's only a modest one though. The very briefest of tangents about sentence diagramming. You ever notice that the entire preamble to the US Constitution is one sentence? Uh, yes, because I've memorized it. Is it because of the song? <laughs> nope. I memorized it on my own terms. There you Ooh. go. Was it like for school or were you just really feeling patriotic one day? So all of, every every two years I go to a family reunion and every cousin in the family reunion needs to have a talent for the talent night. And so mm -hmm. and you have to come up with a new talent every single family reunion. And so we had just covered, uh, you know, the like founding of America in school and... It is a pretty cool preamble. I do think it's it's a pretty well-written thing, despite being a run-on sentence. Um, so, yeah, I think I memorized that one year, and I think the following reunion, I did it in sign language. Wow. <laughs> Damn. My brief, my brief tangent was no longer brief. Sorry. On brand for this okay. podcast. Yes. Yeah. Wait, Justin, didn't we have to do 
a similar thing. They put us in teams, though, at the family yes. reunion. They were like, your team has to entertain us. Yes. Fortunately, Why do family reunions do that? Why, why is this necessary? Because why, the, why? the people who put themselves in charge of these activities are the people who think that sounds like fun. Yeah. <laughs> it is fun, though, because, like, once you get to a certain age, you're exempt from the talent show. But also, if you, like, marry into the family, it's your first time at one of those reunions, you have to do at least one talent, even though you, don't, you won't have to do it again because you're old enough. So this year, one of my cousins got married before this family reunion. And actually, maybe the best talent um, was something I had, I had already seen on like a like weird talk show. Um, but he just ripped an apple in half with his hands. Wow. It was, it's pretty metal. I, like, I'm not going to lie. I, I enjoyed watching that in person. That was cool. Yeah, that's a good way to establish yourself in the family. <laughs> I, I believe that's one of those things where, A, there's a trick to it, so it's not as hard as you there's think a, there's a technique for sure yeah but b you also do need to have the the hand strength and whatever to tear an <laughs> apple in half yes i yeah i would say there's a technique to it but not i would not say it's a, there's a trick to it because you do still have to be strong to do it right i do know the trick to tearing a uh yellow pages in half though i believe i've managed that with like a a, a small notebook but like you know maybe a hundred pages but yeah, that's a that's a cool one. But how many pages is Harrison's speech? Probably there we go for yeah. twenty four or I'm less. Like <laughs> how does Harrison satiate Ramir? Wasn't it something like uh, the the unfaithful get killed? So that's about that's about what you get. I think is I think is his Jadith will reward everybody. It, it, there's like a brief follow-up to that but that's that's mostly enough to make Ramir go like all right yeah later he's uh he's talking with uh i'll go with Warren for this guy his main concern is the the time scale here of you know you're talking about an entire collapse and and rebuild of a government structure and you can't just decide that that's going to happen and Hraithan says, well, I mean, maybe I can. You know, you've you've heard about what happened in in Duladel. And and Warren says, well, if you look at the, the history and the politics of that, that was brewing for a very long time. Hraithan says, and I think the same thing is happening here, which I think is a, a good, interesting exchange there. I like that. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, if you if you look at the actual moment where the events occur it is a very quick moment and that could be very, very soon. Yeah. I think it's, I, I think the difference in timeline of the two Cosmere stories we've, we've delved into so far is very interesting because, you know, in Mistborn, it was like the Lord ruler has ruled for a thousand years. We're working on that time scale and, and that level of mythologizing. Whereas this, it was like the big sort of inciting interesting world building incident was 10 years ago right and, well within and, people's and, memory yeah but still think about how much has already been lost how much they still don't understand how fast it all happened it's it's very interesting mm-hmm. i mean kind of a point of mistborn though is like it all happened suddenly and then for a thousand years shit all happened basically <laughs> right right like mm-hmm in year one, Elantris fell, and then for the next ten years, people just like 
what the hell do we do now <laughs> for 10 years yeah so we are we're getting to the end of uh Craven's first meeting here uh, he he closes with some diplomatic words on how there may be bad times coming and if you are not part of the church you may find life more difficult than it needs to be which the, there is a the there are hints of a threat buried in there but it <laughs> it is it is not not nearly so overt uh, as what uh, what Diloph follows that up with yeah <laughs> our, our main man Diloph yeah <laughs> pissed off as ever focused ugh Prathen, remember who and what I represent. Diloph, remember Elantris. <laughs> Do not forget the well of desecration. You need to kill them all. <laughs> I, I, you know, that's that's messed up, but I feel like there's kind of a comedy beat after of just like, there's a moment of silence and then Rathen's just like, God damn it. Well, yeah. <laughs> meeting over. Yep. <laughs> Raythan slaps his thighs and stands up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, well <laughs> anyway. The ancient Midwestern art. Anyway. <laughs> Get the fuck out of my house. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right, so, uh, yeah, as this meeting wraps up, Raythan gives a, a brief recap of how he thinks things went. Uh, he thinks that Aidan is definitely on board. Uh, Ramir will be as well once he gets a moment to say, look, I wasn't going to say it out loud, but yes, we're going to pay you. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Warren maybe could use some more work. Uh, but as the, the meeting is wrapping up, he would like a moment to speak with uh, Duke Tellry, the, the most significant one uh, in private. And that we will not see. So Brandon is still... Uh, holding the the best speeches for off page (laughs) (laughs) that wraps up our first Craythan chapter we'll be returning to him at the end of the section Uh, but we go go on to chapter 10 and back into Elantris to check in with Rayodin which also means we get a new symbol start of the chapter and this (gasps) one's looking pretty funky we do (laughs) yeah every uh, are we going to get far enough 10, 11, 12? No, not quite. It should be next next episode where we'll, we'll have another new symbol then. We'll probably get to double up if the pattern continues. Eventually it's just going to be completely full of lines. <laughs> <laughs> It'll just be a, a spirograph. Yeah, and that would be cool. <laughs> hey, bring back spirographs, you know? Spirographs are legitimately cool. They're great. And bring back Spyro while we're at it. Ah, oh, <laughs> the dragon. They kind of did for a minute. <laughs> you know, you know where there aren't dragons. Elantris. Elantris. That we, we know of. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Tentatively. Fun fact: dragons do exist in the Cosmere. I mean, I will say that uh, uh, we had fucking Kolos for two books, and we didn't know that they were what they are. So yeah, could be dragons just lurking anywhere. <laughs> you know? Yeah, they're off in the far country. You don't see him. Has it been established that all these characters are human? Maybe they're all dragons, and the book just hasn't mentioned any dragon-like features, because it's obvious oh, to the characters narrating. I really want to write a book, and then just a hundred pages in, just be like, uh, Jethro twitched his whiskers in annoyance. 
and have the reader I, go, I what? swear we've had this conversation before. <laughs> we might have. I feel like we've had. <laughs> I really want to do it. Thing about it, which is that I was reading Hunger Games, and I just was like, oh, yes. Consumed with the fear that the epilogue would reveal they all had tails or something. This yes, it was the Hunger Games. No, Sam, you said this. You were like, what if halfway through the Hunger Games, they were just like, Katniss twitches her whiskers. We've taught, we, we're in a loop. <laughs> In the loop. I thought time travel wasn't allowed. No. <laughs> Ugh. You know it's not in the loop. How the fuck did Rayodin get off the goddamn roof? He waited. Yeah, that that was the last time we saw him, wasn't it? How did he get off the roof? There weren't any stairs. What the fuck? This upset me a lot, and I just wrote, like, what the hell on my notes, like, a, a dozen times or so? <laughs> How'd he get down? Did it involve clambering? Was there any clambering it, to it, be had? There may have been some clambering. It's probably some clambering. Um, I was, uh, I did not take any notes on that because I was too distracted by the fact that, God bless, Galadon's books did form the shoes. That is where mm -hmm. they got the leather. Let's go. <laughs> well done. It's a good, uh, yeah. But yeah, we are uh, we're we're back with uh, Raiden dragging Galadon into another bad idea, which seems to be the trend at least for a little bit here. <laughs> a bad idea that he also refuses to explain yes. to Galadon, which is actually the worst part of this. Even though it would be objectively beneficial for Galadon to be more in the loop, yes, it it would be beneficial for the plan, but it would also give Galadon more of an excuse to say no. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> it's also just his plans involve so much running and considering yeah. like his greatest flaw is his stubbed toe. <laughs> like, is there no safer way to go about doing any of this? <laughs> Sarin will only ever play dumb and Raiden will only ever just run really fast to accomplish their <laughs> respective goals. All right. Well, then we need to we need to change the casting sheet. Uh, Rayodin is now Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. It's got to be. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Mm. Do you think Galadon uh, Naruto ran across the courtyard? <laughs> can only hope. <laughs> they did that because it was cheaper to animate, and people were like, "Ah, it makes you faster because you're streamlined." <laughs> That's why Usain Bolt does it. <laughs> I don't, I don't, not, dur not during sprints, does he? <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> That's my point. It was like, but what if he did? If it was faster, oh, then you would, would see be athletes doing it. Faster. Do you think those, like, uh, those steroid athletes who are trying to make a big name for themselves, Naruto run? Have you guys heard about that? What? On the last day of Pride, there was like this tweet that got put out that was like, we need your help coming out. But it's not about, it's, it's, it's not about like, it's an athlete who's like, the Olympics have banned me because I do steroids, but really <laughs> we're just enhanced humans and I, I have to hide my face and identity. Otherwise I'll get blacklisted from every event, but we need to start a new league of sports in which anyone can do anything to get ahead like steroids and one day you all will will understand the the strength and the true power of enhanced humanity 
And it's just a guy who does roids, and it's like, I run faster than Usain Bolt because of the roids. I should get a medal for that. Hey, is, is he like an X-Man villain? What is going on? <laughs> he seems like it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that on the Instagram without context. <laughs> Good, please do. <laughs> it's just gonna be the entire video. But it just says uh, a Galadon at the bottom. Like, that's just the caption to the entire video. <laughs> As a, a, a much <laughs> a much more fun variant of that, I think, was there was a there was a Japanese TV show who, of course, are going to do fun, wacky things. Yes. Uh, where they they said, well, there's rules in track and field for world records where you cannot officially set a world record if the wind is above a certain speed because then you you could be getting assistance from it so it needs to be within a certain range for it to be a legal world record what if we didn't care (laughs) so they they got a they they were working with it was a a u.s olympian sprinter who's like legitimately a a world-class sprinter uh but they they set up these trials where he was running uh 100 meter dashes basically in like a backwards wind tunnel like they had these giant fans <laughs> that were creating the most and he ended up setting a world record or what would be a world record if it weren't for the enormous fans behind him incredible this has very little to do with the book it's the, yeah they're not setting world records in Elantris because there's walls to block the wind segue hey <laughs> yeah so yeah there are more people arriving in Elantris today uh, there are three of them which is somewhat unlikely but the the Shea does happen as far as we can tell just randomly so I guess that's what it'll be today and Rayodin is trying to to continue to to gather his own his own group of people and is going to try to uh, get these three on his side and yeah like we've said the the plan basically boils down to galadon you're the distraction go run <laughs> and then uh, it, it is a, a comedy beat there when raiden uh, makes up a very flimsy excuse uh, and goes, come on, we need to go chase him. And just gives them an excuse to also go running. He has the cure. <laughs> just coincidentally, you entered the city right at the second that somebody was stealing and absconding with the cure. <laughs> it's one of those, like, if you act like you are in charge, then it just kind of works. <laughs> the chief example of that being Justin and I's other brother, who one day put on a suit, carried around a clipboard, and gave himself a badge that said Chief Safety Officer, and just mm-hmm. wandered around a show choir event that he should not have had access to, just yep. completely freely. That's legitimately a plot point in Better Call Saul. <laughs> <laughs> or, maybe, or maybe Breaking Bad, but yeah, Mike Ehrmantraut just puts on safety gear and is like, alright, I'm gonna go do some surveillance in this super top secret facility. And I'm also going to write up actual safety violations and chew people out. (laughs) I don't think Tim was that helpful on his tour. (laughs) He made the very briefest glance at being helpful. I think there was like a loose floor tile or something 
that mm. he was like, oh, people might trip over this. I'll get someone on it. And then never did anything <laughs> about it. <laughs> until now, block off, until then, block off this entire hallway off limits. Yeah. And then he just never comes back. So, yeah, this, this plan apparently works, which, like, I realize that there are there are other things that I am also suspending my disbelief about, given that this is a fantasy book. But Riordan does get away with the plan of just run for it again. And we meet our three further newcomers. I guess Mare? I don't know. For the first one. <laughs> there are the, the, first, the first two books in the Cosmere... And Brandon Sanderson names two separate women mayor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brandon, you can't keep doing this. To his credit, the second one only has one A. I, I know <laughs> they're, they're different spellings, but it's the... <sighs> no, but he made it less uh, redundant. But I wrote down, uh, mayor has no skills. Rill also has two consecutive vowels and was a workman. <laughs> A lot of, lot of consecutive vowels here. Yeah. Rayodin points out that... Uh, I'm just going to say Mare, it's easier. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mare may not have had a job, but she does have skills. And so she will also be able to uh, to help them out if she can be convinced to do so. Uh, Rill was a, a builder, and so he can he can definitely take advantage of that if they can find things to actually build with and then uh the the third uh asks the very relevant question of who the hell are you and why should i care <laughs> uh, and so uh Rayodin, uh delegates that question uh, i i do like that he has uh, he has decided to take advantage of the fact that uh Maresh loves to to talk and kind of go on and 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 spin these these tales uh and so he goes well he can tell you what's going on and and Maresh is is telling this this saga of how he got rescued and Raiden's <laughs> like I don't know if I actually did all of those things but it sounds good <laughs> and it works because this guy Salen is just like I pledge you my sword <laughs> Yeah, he has a real quick turnaround from being the least trusting to like, oh, immediately, I pledge my, my sword, my life to you. <laughs> Ride or die, baby. I mean, it's, it's uh, the impact there is lessened by the fact that he does not have a sword, but I appreciate the, the metaphorical pledge. So yeah, the, uh, the squad here uh, is now six people. And they are, they're starting to like, play a little city builder game they're they've got uh <laughs> they've got someone to to renovate a building they've got uh, people to to make shoes and perhaps now other clothes with uh mare's talent for weaving they've got guards so yeah we've got a we've got a whole little society building here why why is mare also on roof duty <laughs> did i misread that because it sure looks like uh it isn't an easy task, real mayor. We'll give it our best try, my lord. Is she also helping? Yeah, just an extra pair of hands, I guess. Yeah, it does seem like uh, she's also on on roof construction, so that sucks. <laughs> real, build a roof, but also all the wood is broken or rotten. Have fun. Enjoy. Bye. 
so Galadon does return shortly after. Uh, I am I am impressed by his technique of faking out the the rooftop hideaway uh, by just running straight through a building that has some broken stairs and then making some noise upstairs so that the gang chasing him starts to they're, they're on oh you can't fool us twice we're gonna get up to that roof and we're gonna get you and meanwhile he's just peaced out <laughs> yeah <laughs> but Galadon says yeah the the other gangs are right you are starting your own rival crew here and you need to be careful about what you're playing with here because it uh, it could get very even more dangerous than it is very rapidly if they think that Rayodin is a, a a large threat to the 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 kind of balance here in Elantris. But Rayodin kind of describes it not so much as a gang, but more as like a government or a <laughs> Elantrian union. Mm-hmm. Like we were all gonna rise up, and you know. The city needs a sense of purpose. You know, other gangs are like, we're, we're going to steal food. Yeah. I'm going to eat this book. Mm-hmm. Which, some of that I think is, this is our protagonist, and we're, we're going to see him do things that it's easier to root for. Uh, but also, potentially, there's just a matter of, of timescales, of Raiden still does have some sense of optimism, having only been in Elantris for probably less than a week at this point and and has not been quite so beaten down so remains to be seen how uh, how much he can maintain this this feeling of we're not a, a gang that's seizing power we're a, a group that is kind of standing up for ourselves it's also worth noting he is distributing it equally among all of his buddies but at the end of the day he also is kind of stealing food and then just giving it to other people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, th- those three newcomers were given that food ostensibly for them. And then, yeah, he gets his own share. It's tax, uh, basically. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I guess that's why it's uh, some sort of, of small government at this point rather than a gang is that he's he's charging tax. <laughs> I was also really worried because he's like, "All right, here's some food for you all. You can eat." And he takes the bread and he walks away. And I legitimately wrote my notes: "Man, Raiden's a shitty friend because Galadon didn't even get any food." And then Galadon shows up, and Raiden gives him the bread. And I was like, "Yay, he gets the bread!" <laughs> yep, yep. So yeah, they've uh, they they've picked out uh, a building. This one doesn't have a roof yet, but hopefully it will. Uh, and they're going to to make this kind of their their encampment. Galadon says it, it used to be a church, uh, which is strikes Raiden as a little unusual. Of this is a, a a holy city for these godlike Elantrians, and there's a completely different church here. Uh, but Galadon says the Elantris was open to everyone, and the Elantrians were so clearly the divine ones here that they were. They didn't really care if if people wanted to also have have other beliefs that they maintained. I love that little line because we've heard a lot about the Elantrians of like they were perfect and they gave everything away and blah blah blah, and we're slowly getting more details. Like there was still a marketplace. They didn't. They sold some things. Now it's like they were so perfect that they are like of course they welcomed other religions, but 
I think it's it's fun to frame it as they just didn't care because mm-hmm. they were more divine. They were right there and divine. Right. Mm-hmm. The next stop here for Raiden is to try to uh, spot one of the the three leaders who we have not actually seen any of them yet. And we're starting with Anden, who is the one who claims to be nobility of some sort. And so Raiden thought that he might know the man. So they are going to uh, sneak into Anden's, uh, into Anden's court, as it were, and see if they can figure out what's going on. And they do sneak in fairly easily. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, it does help that Anden does seem to not have the best grasp on reality himself. True. So, yeah, this uh, we we see the man, uh, and Raiden does know him, though he's not actually former nobility. Uh, he was apparently a sculptor. He was fairly well known for his art, uh, and so so Raiden did know of him and his work before he uh, got got taken into Elantris, uh, but. Uh, says that you know when when the 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 government uh, the the current government came to rule in in K that was someone seizing power and and making a title for themselves and so Andon seems to have done the same thing here of declared himself to be a lord uh, and is now holding court though it is it is apparently basically complete nonsense what's actually happening which would be really creepy. <laughs> yeah, this city is bad. <laughs> it's not in good shape. Galadon says, uh, "Let's let's please move on. We don't want to get uh, involved in one of the mock executions." And says, "You know, it's it's all mock except for the axe, which is the important part." <laughs> yeah, the pointy part. Which, what happens if you chop an Elantrian's head off? Good question. Wonder if we're going to find that out. <sighs> You just got Rayfoed, boy. Guess I did. So they are going to they're going to depart from this scene, uh, and we we get a conversation that I think we were all waiting for a little bit. Of Rayodin was being a little obvious with his disguise <laughs> here, uh, and Galadon is not an idiot, and <laughs> and figures this out, uh, and says, okay. You thought you'd know nobility. You call yourself spirit. The aeon for spirit is Rayo. There was a guy named Rayodin. Am I putting <laughs> these pieces together right? And Rayodin's like, yeah, okay, I, I probably screwed that one up, didn't I? <laughs> yes, yes, you did. Yeah. I, I am glad that it is kind of pointed out how obvious it is, because I was worried it would be like a late stage reveal of Galadon going, oh, it's you. And the fact that it's <laughs> one chapter after he starts using the the term Rayo, uh, he, he pieces it all together. It's like, okay, good. That's, that's good. I like that. <laughs> right. Yeah, especially because we heard a little bit about how Rayodin's friends saw him and they basically described him as perfect. So it's nice to see little flaws of like, he's just bad at subterfuge. <laughs> How is that a flaw to be bad at lying? Deep. When you're a politician, probably. Probably. <laughs> mm. 
So Raiden does manage to convince Galadon, at least for now, to not spread that knowledge around, please. Though we'll see if Raiden makes more effort to actually keep his disguise. I mean, is it going to be worse if he goes, hey, hey, don't call me spirit anymore. Call me like some, uh, call me like Mr. Goldman or something. Don't, don't call me spirit. <laughs> don't think about spirit. Stop thinking about the fact that I'm called spirit. Yeah. Hey guys, change plans. I'm actually, I'm Mr. Greens now. Mr. <laughs> Green. Mr. Green. Call me Dave. I'm Mr. Elantris. <laughs> John Elantris. <laughs> John Elantris. <laughs> and everyone in Andin's crew goes, oh, that guy sounds like he's in charge now. And they all <laughs> walk over to him. <laughs> Why are we writing this book? Yeah, <laughs> I ask you. Because it's already been written. Let's keep reading it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Raiden then uh, turns that back around and says, well, you found out about me, so I need to know some things about you. Like, that's how this works, right? And we get uh, a very, a little glimpse into Galadon's past. He says he was a farmer. And uh, Raiden feels like this is a, an incomplete answer that's that's hiding something. Uh, but Galadon is is just, you know, I was a farmer. I, uh, I ran some orchards because I thought it sounded like less work than planting the crops every year. It, it was, kind of. But yeah, did some farming. That's about it. But Raiden says that probably wasn't about it. If You're I was hiding smart. something, then everyone is hiding something. <laughs> You're too smart to just be a farmer. Yeah. <laughs> Rude. And he he tries to temper that and say, you seem like you have more scholarly education than I would expect from someone who has spent a lot of time on a farm. But... The uh, Galadon is is just kind of just not going to go any further. He said, yeah, I was a farmer, read a lot of books. That helped. And that's it. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Good question. Next question. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and the next question is is a good one because it's, it's something that strikes Rayodin as he has been looking around and, and they've been covering more ground. He says, where are all the children? Because apparently the uh, the Shayad can can hit anyone of any age, and there are young children who do get put into Elantris, which is absolutely horrifying. And Raiden hasn't seen any of them, so Galadon has a a somewhat depressing answer of, "Well, it's this is not a good place, and if you're young and small, it's probably not going to go well." But we don't get much further than that because we are uh, interrupted and distracted by a Sion. And not just a Sion, but it is Ian, who was the Sion who had been had been serving Raoden, who is is here, and Raoden recognizes him because of the uh the Aeon there, but there's not much there this is just kind of a, a aimlessly drifting ball of light which we, we don't know very much of the context here you know we haven't had we haven't had any interaction with ian and barely any with with ash but this is a sad scene yeah yeah, yeah like a 
sad little impractical Roomba just kind of floating around. <laughs> really sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it makes sense to put this scene here because we've gotten some really lovely moments with Serene and Ash and like, you really love their relationship and see how like fun and snarky Ash is to then be like, and here's what's left of Rayodin's equivalent. It, it mm-hmm. hits extra hard. Yeah. <laughs> this is bad. Um, <laughs> this city is like, bad. <laughs> the city is bad. And it feels like it really drives a, a, a nail through the heart of my... Uh, the Seans are going to do something cool in Elantris. Because they're just too far gone to do anything. Apparently. Things with their own intelligence, their own life. Yeah, we can we can hope that we see some more, uh, so- something more uplifting from the the Sions in Elantris in the future. But as this scene ends, it just kind of drifts off, and that's all we get. Which then takes us to the close of the chapter, and on to chapter eleven, where it is Serene's turn to gather slash be introduced to another whole group of people it really is just three the final empires in one of everyone just (laughs) gathering up their crew yeah (laughs) everyone get in here pretty much Uh, because we've we've heard about this this gathering that that happens Uh, but we we get to see it now uh, even though it is apparently Uh, Only five people, and this crew used to be much bigger, but with with Rayodin apparently dead, a lot of it has has very quickly fallen apart. People aren't willing to to take this considerable risk for something that they think probably isn't going to go anywhere. But we do have five here, uh, plus Serene now as well, and we'll we'll get to meet them. And Keen is cooking again, so good for him. He's making some sort of, of, of roast pig. Catathum. Catathum. <laughs> or that. It's, I don't know. It's a roast One pig. Potato, potato. This is very exciting because we get, I don't know if we got firm confirmation on pigs, but this definitely confirms pigs. We got confirmation on worms <laughs> last chapter, and we even get confirmation of potatoes this chapter. There's a lot oh going my gosh. on. Huge news. I just, I don't know whether to play along with it or to fight every time. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't see a single animal in Final Empire. We didn't see one. At at this point, I think Caleb is more dedicated to this catalog than Sam is. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm interested in the food and the cuisine now, though. That's that's actually my main thing. Yeah, Sam fair. was like, "Do animals at all exist?" And I'm I'm more focused on the food specifically. What do they eat? <laughs> all right, and where are the bay wraps? In in that case, Caleb, you are also going to be uh, interested in Stormlight when we get there, because there's some cool food. Oh, okay, there's there's, there's there's interesting fantasy food, but that is uh, several months away. So good luck, us. <laughs> No, hang in there. Cool. I've I've <laughs> never played a monster hunter game, but one of my one of the most appealing parts that has almost gotten me into it is once you hunt enough of the titular monsters you are hunting as a monster hunter, you can bring back some of the parts and make a bunch of different recipes, and they mm-hmm. all look very tasty. <laughs> so yeah, the uh, it, uh, according to 
um, according to Eondel, the food is the the main motivation for him showing up. So, oh, God, it is important. It's great. Uh, yeah, I wrote down like we we learned about Eondel in the last chapter, and uh, mm-hmm. Saolin is like, ah, Eondel, he's so cool. He's great. He's got great, awesome soldiers. He's great to serve under. And the first thing he does, what's the first thing he does when we see him? He bitches about not currently eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> We're off to a very cool start. So cool. Yeah, I will say like for the rest of the chapter, it's not like Eondel's like terrible and unsufferable but he he's just kind of there he's just kind of okay he definitely does not meet the expectation that Seolin set on how great of a guy this is mm-hmm. it literally said aloud what i pasted there but i just wanted to note mm-hmm. i do wonder how much of this is uh is a bit on his part where like at the very first one of these meetings or something he was really hungry that day and was like can we eat first? And ever since then, he's 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 just been like, "Where's the food?" Just because it's funny. Do potatoes exist or not? <laughs> ever since then, it's been that. <laughs> ah. We also find out while well, we're getting this kind of big overview that he's the head of the Eon Plantation. To which I would ask, which one? Because that's the one that there's just randomly two of on the Aralon map. Yeah, that's baffling to me. I I don't. Like, spoiler, I don't have a good answer for that one. <laughs> Radfo, read and don't find out. Exactly. <laughs> Presumably it's the one that's adjacent to Elantris. But who knows? Probably, but there's no way of knowing. Yeah. Yeah, so we also have uh, Baron Shuden, who is from uh, Jindo. And has has trade connections there, which have have made him some money. There's also a line again while they're all talking. When Serene goes, "If his heart is as Jindo as his skin," I don't care if that's a compliment. That's that, that, that feels weird. really racist to yeah, say. I don't that like that. Felt weird. <laughs> that's a little strange. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, we have uh, Duke Royal as well. Uh, who is at least among this group probably the the most significant player, uh, given his wealth? Though apparently he was was good friends with Iodon for quite some time, and Keen says that over the years, uh, Royal may be regretting some of the things that have have gone down since then. <laughs> There's also just like a very smart writing thing of not having them all be the same like rank or title. The first three we get introduced to are a count, a baron, and a duke, mm-hmm. which it makes it a lot easier to tell three of them apart. And then we end up getting a second count and a second baron, which kind of downplays that a little <laughs> bit. But overall, just a a good a good little like writing tidbit of oh that makes it easier to when I'm getting introduced to all these characters, giving them different titles in addition to their names, is a good way of, of helping distinguish them a little bit. Mm-hmm. At least he spaced the repeats out. <laughs> I also noted in my notes, I'm just going to note it every time she does it, because apparently she's going to just keep doing it. She taps her cheek like, the, like a fucking Nancy Drew detective child. <laughs> Stop tapping your cheek, it's weird. Adults don't do that. 
She's barely an adult. She's 25. Yeah. <laughs> she's ancient. She's, she's, she's simultaneously, simultaneously barely an adult and absurdly old. The man's 37, <laughs> Gordon. <laughs> All right. Who else do we have? We have uh, Count Ahan. Uh, who is portly and or fat, depending on who is doing the describing. Or robust. It is it is very fun having like this Roy Hall isn't described as strong, but like he's I think he's described as tall, and then Ahan is a little bit portly, and then reading their interactions, it's literally just ham and breeze. Like it's the, <laughs> the dynamic between the two of them is like almost identical. And I love it. I legitimately really enjoy it because that's a great dynamic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Keen describes it as uh he Ahan and Royal are very good friends or very old enemies. I can't remember which it is. <laughs> I love a it's set of dynamic. those two guys. Yeah. I also really like the the backstory we get of Rayodin independently meeting and convincing the two of them, each of whom thought that they were going to be part of something that the other wasn't. And then they both <laughs> show up to the first meeting. They're like, what the fuck are you doing here? <laughs> Also, um, we just by like first sentence introductions, right? We get introduced to Eondel and Shudin and Royal and a fat dude. <laughs> yeah, that we, is what it, we, we lead have to with. wait. We lead with that. <laughs> it's like a reveal. Like, oh, his name is Count Ahan. Also, he's and then fat. There's also like some strange banter of like, oh, Uncle Reen, you're you're fat too. Well, no, I'm portly. He's real fat, and it's like, okay, <laughs> a key, not Reen. Sorry, I'm still thinking back to Mistborn. And then our uh, our fifth and and final member here uh, is Edan, uh, who runs the the tea plantation, uh, and we can see. Uh, I'm sure Caleb that you checked the map to verify this. He's got the big chasm man crack thing. <laughs> he he does have uh, his, his lands include the the very conspicuous large chasm that's on the map, uh, which has Capital not C. not been uh, not been good for the uh, the production of his fields, and he's in somewhat a precarious financial state, uh, which may explain why he's here, willing to throw his lot in with with this crew because but things are looking great very otherwise fidgety about it yeah yes. <laughs> um also just worth noting edan different from idan who we also met two chapters ago yep <sighs> yep yep it would be really really funny if it's just like Hraithan doesn't know how to spell Edan's name, and then it's going to be this massive plot twist that this guy has been working with both Serene and Hraithan the entire time. Yeah, talk about uh, flimsy disguises. We've got Raiden naming himself after his own name, and then we have these two people who are just, you know, just changed one letter. It's good enough, right? Edan, with an E, it's important that you remember that. Yeah, worth noting, a letter that, depending on how you read the name, could still be pronounced the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, the uh, the group is all here. And the... Yeah, they, they are... It, it took me a bit to get a read on what exactly this group is, is committing to do. Because this is not... 
this is not Kelsier's crew that is like planning an assassination and a violent overthrow of of the government necessarily that like that's on the table at one point but it's not the point uh but they are dissatisfied and or worried about the current system of government and do want to wholesale change it so yeah it, it took me a little bit to figure out what exactly they they're willing to to commit to here it takes them a bit to figure that out too true yes <laughs> so we're like how much treason do we want to do exactly <laughs> hmm some hmm. <laughs> a, a, a modicum of treason and then for the rest of this chapter serene redeems herself she yes. probably ah. is smart and acts smart and talks smart she is good politics. She said she was. She is. Confirmed. Even though she's a woman. A I did woman. enjoy this a lot, but I still felt very frustrated when it was like, it was time to reveal her most valuable asset. And I was like, her wits? And then it was like, her marriage. I was like, oh God, okay. I get it. It's, <laughs> it's a political marriage, but like, do you not, you don't have to call that your most valuable asset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, we, uh, we have a whole... Uh, a whole big back and forth here. Uh, there is there is initially resistance at adding Serene to the group, which makes sense given the some amount of treason that's going on. You do need to be careful who you add, especially someone who is so directly tied to the the current government. But uh, yeah, we I I I agree that this was a, a refreshing scene. Uh, to see Serene kind of doing doing the thing that we've heard, uh, but in a, a much more satisfying way. Proud of you, foul pole. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yeah, that's still funny. <laughs> Let's see, what else do we have in this discussion? Because it does go on for a while, and we have... Uh, we have this, and then we have have more afterwards. What do we want to pick out in particular? Uh, there's one point, like I won't lie, the phrase "widow's trial" sounds very badass, and part of me is very excited <laughs> to see what that's about. However, there is a bizarre and frustrating exchange of, "So, what's your trial going to be? What trial? You know, the trial." And then someone else goes, "Oh no, not the trial!" And Serene's like, "What's the trial?" <laughs> Well, you're going to have to do a trial, but don't worry about the trial. We don't have to talk about the trial anymore. And then they just move on. <laughs> they just don't talk about the trial. And then the day of the trial comes and they're like, well, you got your motorcycle. <laughs> uh, what? Now, now that would be a surprise. You got to yeah. jump the chasm <laughs> on your motorcycle. Yeah we're, t- yeah, we're going all the way down to Edan's estate so you can jump the chasm. <laughs> we, we do have a, a chasm right there ripe for for jumping but yeah that is left somewhat frustratingly unclear at this time so one uh, bit of of progress that we do make is that uh we i can't say a return because we are reading these books out of order uh so we're not technically returning to uh the balls from final empire but we do have some some nobility parties going on that Serene very much wants to be included in so she can be part of the goings-on. And normally she would be invited there with her husband, which is a bit of a problem. Uh, and so she says, 
well, how about each of you in turn just invite me from time to time because, you know, we're friends and we talk and you want to help show the newcomer around the court. And that's not going to be a scandal or anything, but it does get me there and it lets me be part of this. Yeah, it's good to see some more, you know, early Mistborn DNA once again um, with the, the balls becoming an important place to do some politicking. I always love that. One thing that they do need to address, though, is uh, they they gathered here originally because of Rayodin, and they're still coming here even without him. And there's, even though there's not as many of them, but um, uh, Royal and Ahan say pretty directly that because of both his position as the crown prince and also his his personality and his following, his popularity, he was probably the most important one in order to actually get anything done with meaningful change. And without him here, th- where does that leave them? They They need to kind of regroup and figure out, is there anything that they can do? And if so, what? So... Uh, Serene has the 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 idealistic answer of you still have you still have a dream you still have the the passion that you all came here for. And uh, Ahan says, "Well, it was Raiden's dream. We were just along for the ride." So we'll we'll see how how true that actually is. Uh, but then then we do get into I think this is the the main part of uh, Serene showing what showing what she can do showing how she can negotiate and convince these people and kind of build up the the beginnings of her own group here if she's not strictly speaking in charge but she is kind of taking a a significant role right away here and it's a it's a cool scene and then she finally comes up with a plan which is trickle down economics (laughs) basically yeah (laughs) She like looks them all in the eyes like, look, sharecropping isn't the problem. The problem is that you guys are sharecropping and you're not even making money off of it, guys. (laughs) The sad thing is not that the rule breaks in people's spirit or is immoral, but that it is those things without making nobles richer. (laughs) Come on. Come on. Like said like that, it, it does sound pretty ridiculous, but it also like... Yeah, if you are going to be ruthlessly exploiting the people under you, you should at least be turning a profit. Come on. <laughs> I also, this is a very small detail. I find it very strange that Serene is like, have any of you looked at Arlon's production charts? And they go, is there such a thing? It's like, you don't have, you don't keep track of how much money you, you don't, your whole country is run by a merchant. You guys run what? plantations. We've yeah, what are you ledgers. talking about? We've seen ledgers. Are they not on the ledgers? Like, why yeah. not? Yeah. I, I assume here she's just sort of meaning, like, the bigger picture national right. ledgers. Right. But it still is a little weird that they they flat out don't know it exists. That's, that was yeah. a very strange line. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, apparently there there are such a thing. Apparently these people have never seen them. Uh and yeah, they're they're not doing well. Uh Iodon, for all his initial for his his rise to power as a wealthy merchant, 
uh, his his rule and his policies have not been good to the the nation of Aralon, and so that that's kind of uh, that's their in is if this if this country is built on mercantile success, and the current king is not successful, and we can show people who are more successful, then that's kind of like what's the justification for keep keeping Idon in rule then? So that is that is an avenue that they can they can pursue. Shuden says it'll be risky because we might lose some of our money. And Eden is like, fuck, fuck, I can't do that. Are you insane? <laughs> I got no money to lose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they, they do bring up that it is possible that they could attack with an army, uh, but that uh, that has the potential to go more wrong than anything else. So it's uh, it's definitely not plan A. Yeah, the even Eandel, who is like in charge of the armies, and I'm pretty sure made the offer earlier. He's like, "Oh, thank God, I didn't want to do that." <laughs> yeah, that's too yeah. much treason. I'm glad we pumped the brakes. So we uh, we we get to the the end of this discussion with the the plan to attempt an an economics here, and uh, <laughs> Serene tries to to get buy in from from each of them. Uh, each in kind of their their own, uh, pushing each of them in in, in their own way, uh, and we have uh, we have Shuden who is the first to to take up the offer, uh, which kind of gives uh, Royal an excuse to to also now now there's a trend so Royal can can join in, uh, and that rapidly gets Eden and Iandel on board, and then. Uh, Serene, who has already uh, taken the the personal dynamic personal dynamics into account, uh, hits him with, you know, Royal is just kind of barely in, so <laughs> you need to just commit here, bud. And he does. I love that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so that will be the uh, the conclusion of the main meeting, uh, because it's time for dessert. So we have we have more food to to close this out. As the the last part of the chapter, we have a a much smaller group here, with uh, Duke Royal has has stayed behind to to talk with Keen for a bit. Uh, very briefly, Serene is eavesdropping, uh, but rapidly decides to just join the conversation here. Join them for a glass of wine, and and they have a a, a slightly uh, they have a different kind of discussion here with with just the three of them. And one thing that that does come up with this discussion is, I, I think this is the first time. Serene had a, a a brief thought about this kind of thing earlier, but this is the first time that we've had it kind of come up as a plot point with the other characters of the potential of foul play around Raiden's apparent death, because. Yeah, we, we had a, a brief note earlier that it seemed a little bit suspicious, but not completely uncalled for. But this has apparently been on Serene's mind of, doesn't it seem a little odd that Raiden was a young, healthy man and also the most notable person opposing the current rule? So wouldn't it be awfully convenient if he just disappeared? Which I think it's very interesting that there was conspiracy and foul play involved but 
the the motivation and the actual cause here is completely wrong. She's wrong for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. But uh, Royal and and Keen are at least willing to to entertain the idea of maybe there was foul play, uh, which would also like that's a a big influence on their plans either if iodon did do something to to be part of uh like if if iodon killed raiden that's a a thing that the people would want to know and would turn them against iodon but also it's possible that he's still alive roiel is actually the first one to to bring this up uh, is you know what if what if he's still alive and there's some sort of cover-up uh, serene thinks that, that would be a, a weird way to do it because it leaves the opportunity for him to dramatically return later and so let's be on the lookout for the opportunity for him to dramatically return later <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's i think it's interesting that the thought of maybe he's an elantris now has not even crossed anyone's minds i think that's either like we don't want them to arrive at the correct answer we want the dramatic irony or it's a good indication of like the shayon is such a monumental shameful thing like of course that wouldn't happen to rayadin right mm, yeah right <laughs> and then we are also reminded that uh serene is also very interested in what Hraithen is doing, uh, and therefore the city of Elantris. Because at least in in Tiad, they they know pretty well, or at least they th they think they know pretty well what happened in in Duladel and how how that empire fell. And so she is is quite worried about what Hraithen is doing here. Which we've seen is probably worth worrying about, at least in some respect. Again, it's it's kind of the it's a another you know wrong reasons or wrong but right reasons. I don't know something like that, where Hraithen's plan A is not to conquer and kill the people of Aralon. He's he's willing to consider it a possibility, but it seems like from what we've heard that. In, in Duladel, there was that, that violent overthrow and collapse. And that's not what Hraithen is trying to do. So, bit of a bit of a mismatch there, and it's, it's an interesting one. Serene's got a lot going on. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's juggling quite a bit. <laughs> so yeah, that pretty much brings us to the end of our, our Serene chapter here. We have a... Uh, uh, one final bit with just Serene and Royal, where they uh, talk about Keen a little bit. We have more of this. It it does feel kind of weird of like, wow, he does things for himself. It's so strange. But uh, yeah, Royal does seem to be pretty pretty on board at this point, uh, both with the plan as a whole and also working with Serene. It seems like they are they're getting along pretty well now. And uh, and yeah, that's pretty much where we we wrap up our our one serene chapter for for this section, and we will check back in our next episode with where that's going. Our final chapter then for this week, uh, our next Wraithen chapter, and it's quite a short one. 
Let me check the numbers. I want to see how this short this is. Yeah, it's the shortest chapter we've done so far, though we had one that was close. Uh, and it will be the shortest chapter all the way until the end of part one. So just a brief check-in. Hraithen <laughs> uh, is thinking about uh, the the things that happen when a country becomes part of, of the empire and part of the, the religion. Uh, he's talking about, or he, he's thinking about uh, the language that they speak and what influence that has. Uh, we saw right when we, when he uh, landed in Aralon, uh, one of the first things that he said to Fionn when, before he was dismissed, was you should be speaking Fjordel. That, that's the proper language. But the he also has the the very practical element of I do need to reach these people and and actually convert them, and so I will. He he refers to it as profanity of I I will profane myself to to learn their language and speak to them in their own language in order to do what needs to be done. Historian hat on. That was a legitimate thing that the Catholic Church went through for a decent amount of time. Yeah. So, whether to preach in Latin or to preach in a language people can understand. Right. <laughs> Imagine going to church and not understanding a single fucking word of what was said. <laughs> was it? Was it Vatican One or was it all the way till Vatican Two, when when they actually started doing masses in the local language? Hello, yes, grew, grew up Catholic here. Yeah. <laughs> I have a mixed relationship with Catholicism, so I do not know Same-sies. these things. I am taking a research tangent to actually answer this. <laughs> uh, so where the hell were we? Yeah, we were talking about language. Um, Vatican One or Vatican Two? Yes. <laughs> better uh, One, better Two. <laughs> God, I'm, I'm going to have to keep that. Uh, yeah, we're returning from a whole part that we just cut, which included me determining that it was Vatican I that uh, permitted the, the the mass in the local language, and also a whole bunch of other stuff that was not, even by our standards, was not relevant to this podcast. Yeah, it was, don't ask for takes from the cutting room floor. It was literally just personal information we're not giving out. Yep. Yeah, we're not, we're not distributing that PII, no thanks. Yep. <laughs> Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Anyways, Raythan's undergoing his own Vatican One. Yes. <laughs> he's he's almost giving an off stage or off stage Jesus off screen, like he's giving a speech, but we still don't get any words from it. <laughs> yeah. No. This the is soliloquy. all. This is him oh. like thinking while he is preaching in front of people. Do you guys want? Uh perspective on that because i have perspective on that. go for I was it a historical i was a historical presenter at the henry ford i don't care i dox myself there were a lot of them <laughs> uh but uh but yeah there there comes a point where you know your script so well and even if you're like adapting it to the audience that you're talking to you don't have to think you can just be like um and the the model t is anybody here have a car from 2014 or onward well that uh, has a carburetor which is model t or you know whatever that it's not a fact uh but um but yeah you can do that while simultaneously being like i wonder what i'm gonna have for dinner tonight or like what was the name of that 
what was the name of that song from the Breaking Bad finale? I really, I wanna, I wanna listen to that again. That was a good song. <laughs> your brain is just doing all these things while you're preaching. <laughs> we were talking about that at work the other day, where we're like, like ten feet away through the stage doors, families are experiencing the magic of theater and being swept up, and we're just back here like, oh, I'm so hungry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we get uh, we get a description of his preaching as it's happened as it happens but we don't get any of the the words themselves uh and yeah like sam like you said he he says he's done this so many times that uh he is he he can do this without much conscious thought uh and he he this is an experience he knows very well and he he finishes up with a uh, a, a call to serve in in Jadith's kingdom, to for people to to swear themselves as as a priest, and uh, it is a uh, it it feels like you know it's a a good a good session. It's where he wanted to be, uh, and and he he does think that uh, this is that this is working you know it, it's going to take some time it's going to take more of these speeches but he's getting people who are coming to listen to him uh he's uh he he's getting those people are going to start start talking to other people this is how it is supposed to progress in his mind and uh pretty soon he's going to appoint a a, a local artef and that will be that will be part of the the way this goes uh, but as this is wrapping up, uh, we see that Diloff has decided that he is going to give his own speech. And once again, we have an inkling of how this is going to go. <laughs> Very focused. Yeah, this is uh, this is the first time that he has given one of these these public addresses. Uh, and as as it says, he made himself impossible to ignore. He is, and and this is something that. Uh, I think we've seen real life parallels to of there are techniques and rules and whatnot for, for ways that you can convey a message to a crowd and have them listen to you, but also just the, the raw passion and energy that Dilov has of just throwing himself into this with everything he has is for a lot of people impossible to turn away from. And so he, he draws that crowd right back in and they're they're there to see what what he has to say just goes full pentecostal on him yeah jesus <laughs> yeah and and Hraithan is watching this and and sees that it is working perhaps better than his own speeches wait a minute yeah <laughs> that's not how that's supposed to happen <laughs> you know, he he he's he's going through this and he thinks you know he's he's never lacked commitment to the church he's always been very dedicated to it uh, but he is he says he's a calculating man he's he's careful he he keeps things nice and and organized uh and and Diloff has this this very personal raw feeling to it uh of of just putting everything out there and it's a uh it's a it's a contrast and it's one that really draws the people in uh and is uh 
a little bit concerning for for Hraithan. Good cop, crazy cop. Yeah. I mean, literally, like, it's the, the back and forth of, like, I'm, you know, here's all the information, and here's just the passion. The, the raw, unfocused passion. Uh, and then we we see that uh, Duke Telry was here as well. And Telry thinks that uh, this was this was part of the plan and is is very impressed by the the two approaches. That's that's got to be like salt in the wound for Raythan, mm. right? Like <laughs> yeah. He's he's complimenting me on the one thing I didn't do. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, but at at the very least uh we we don't get to see yet what the the off-screen negotiation was at the end of the first Raythan chapter here. Uh, but Telri has given it some thought uh, and it's a, it's a very non-committal phrase in that it, he says it is very tempting and that it is unlikely that anyone including himself would refuse, but doesn't actually say yes. Uh, Freakin <laughs> does take this as a yes though and says that he will get some things in into into motion. And then there's uh, an exchange between Diloff and Freithan, uh where you have this this interesting relationship between the two of them because it is a very structured very rank based setup uh where Hraithan says you should have done you should have asked me for permission to do that uh, and and Diloff is saying that you know, I I did this in the service of your message I did it to, to further your goals and so you know of, of course this is all in the in the service of of Jadith and of our our religion but also, Diloph should not have done that. <laughs> so, and, and he is he is reprimanded. And then, uh, at the 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 final scene with Raithen now uh, going to his his private quarters, uh, as Sam describes it, Raithen digs out uh, a box in a box, and in the box in a box is a Sion. It's <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. Fuck you, Hraithan. That thing is sentient. But okay. <laughs> yeah, that's good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Way back to, to episode one where we were trying to figure out are Sion's people or cell phones? They're people, and yet Hraithan has what, like a burner phone that he's just hiding away? <laughs> that's pretty literally what this is, yeah. It's just a, a burner phone. Burner phone just like they use on breaking bad. Rule of three, baby. There we go. <gasps> But yeah, he is. Uh, he immediately dismisses the the Sion itself, who who does try to ask him what he needs. Uh, but what he is using this is to contact Wern, which is uh, pretty pretty significant. Uh, in that Sions are are part of they're directly tied to Elantris and therefore uh in the in in Shudareth they're pretty blasphemous and yet Wern himself the the ruler of the the church in the person has has one may have several and uses them to to contact his trusted priests so we're checking in with the uh with the boss here because that is important enough to be worth it 
I believe the use of heathen cell phones was covered in Vatican 1.5. Mm, so mm-hmm. another good uh, <laughs> parallel here. It's Vatican five, Vatican five G actually. <laughs> if you're gonna call the Pope, use a burner phone. <laughs> it can't track you that way. Uh, that is that's a good that's a good quote that's a good out of context quote I like that one. Yeah, gonna gonna remember that one. Sorry, Sam. <laughs> Put that on a shirt. <laughs> we we do not get the uh the the conversation itself, but it is it is tied to the offer that he was just implying to to make with Telri. Uh and that is the end of our chapter, end of our section, uh with a uh, a proposal involving one of the lords of Aralon. And so that's where we will wrap up. There's a cool little like dichotomy um between serene's point of view and harathan's point of view where serene has just gotten done uh with the chapter being like look even if they're your servants if you treat them well they'll actually respect you and like you and then harathan's completely opposite um point of view is there's no way these seons could be loyal and actually like me i hate these things because they're servile (laughs) um interesting uh comparison of of viewpoints there yep so uh, we have finished our uh, our episode three. We've gotten through uh, another four chapters. Uh, before we get on to the, the rest of our episode, I'll go right ahead and uh, mention where we're going from here. Uh, we're going to have a couple of episodes that are only three chapters. So we'll just be going through each Aww. viewpoint once. It means you only <laughs> get one new set of symbols. I'm sorry. Darn it. Is that the reason that you were disappointed? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I want so, to see the pictures, Justin. So episode four uh, will be chapters 13, 14, and 15, uh, which is just about as, as long as the sections we've done before. Just to, just to reassure you, Caleb, uh, episodes four and five will both be three uh, chapters each, but then after that we will be getting... Uh, increasingly more. In fact, I think every episode after that has more chapters than the the preceding one. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. So yeah, uh, episode four will be next week. Chapters 13, 14, and 15. We'll give those a read. If you're following along, do so as well, and we'll see what we find. Uh, but what we found in this section is uh, a whole lot of new characters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and normally we would uh, we would do some some casting here, and I think we'll we'll do some of that as well. Uh, but Sam, you've been keeping track of every single character that we've we've met, have you not? I have at least their names. Uh, this chapter we met Idan, Ramir, Warren, Mare, Rill, Saulin, Eondel, Anden, Shudan, Royal, Ihan, Idan, and Wern's face. Uh, (laughs) that i believe is 13 which pushes our total number to 24 which is uh the highest number we're five over the highest number here how are we five over the highest number there's no number over 24 what is this this is this is is ludicrous brandon what have you done Brandon, what the hell? Okay, so five of them need to be murdered in our zany children's book about a zombie outbreak. Uh, or the 
fabric of reality is going to be torn here, Brandon. I don't know. Then time travel will be all over the place. What are you going to do about that, Brandon? Yeah, it's going to open. Open the wormhole. Uh, I just want Jedeth to, like, bowl a... Oh, hey. That's probably blasphemous. I just want Jedeth to, to come up from the from the abyss and, and bowl a, a, a giant bowling ball and, you know, knock over nine pins of people. And then we'll be okay. And I'll be able to cast. But I, I don't I don't know thirteen people. <laughs> I don't. It's just uncalled for. I have a small mind. Uh, long story short, casting every single person does take some some time and some like not everybody makes that strong of an impression. So we may be skipping through some of these people if they're not as necessary. Uh, yeah. Sam, do you have? Are, are there any that were particularly important that you do want to to give a cast, or we can we can throw to Caleb to see how many you wanted to to go through, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll see where we where we go from here. Well, there was a touch of uh, uh, procrastination on this as well because I was like, it was one of those things where it was like, oh my god, the homework's due tomorrow. That's how much <laughs> fucking homework there is. <laughs> <laughs> and and instead of like doing the homework like I would and rushing it and doing it on the way to class, uh, I did it. Uh, I just like planned a speech where I would yell about how much homework there is in a pro- uh, what uh, a rise up of the proletarian against the bourgeois professors, uh, <laughs> which I did I think in high school at least once. Uh, yeah, that tracks. But- yeah, if you knew me from high school, then you knew that I was the kind of person who would do that. <laughs> but, um, let me see. If I could highlight a couple that I will keep an eye on, um, I'm going to keep an eye on Mayor Rill and Sowlin. I think they're going to be important. Okay. Um, Eond, uh, kind of Eondo. Um, and Wern's face. Uh, <laughs> we're going to see Wern's face a couple few Probably. times. And That's, also it's important like a to have fact. a... It seems important to have like a established person to picture for Warren's face. So there we go. But that's that's my casting such as it is. Caleb. Okay. Um, y'all are gonna hate me. Uh I have casted literally every character Sam just listed <laughs> off there. All right then. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um I'm I'm gonna make it quick. Um for I I Dan, who is different from E Dan. Um, I, Dan, I have Derek Cecil as featured on House of Cards and I think the new Jack Ryan show. I only watched the first season and he wasn't in it, but my parents told me he was in it. Um, for Amir, I have Arturo Castro, who I mostly know from the menu. He was one of the tech boys in the menu. Um, for Warren, I have Alexander Ludwig, uh, who was in, I believe, the Viking show and in Hunger Games. Um... For real, I have Ian Glenn, most famous for being Jorah Mormont and Game of Thrones. Um, for Saolin, we're done with Inquisitors for now, so I feel like I can start bringing in more wrestlers without saving them for, for Inquisitor casting. So I have Randy Orton as Saolin. Um, for Andin, I have T. Ryder Smith. And I won't lie, I wrote that name down, and I've double-checked my notes twice over the past week and looked at my, that and been like, who who is that? I, I, who is that person? <laughs> 
Speaking of which, I thought the same thing about who I cast as mayor, who I totally skipped over just now. Um, uh, Jessica <laughs> Hecht, or Hetched, I don't know how to pronounce her name. She plays a journalist for a few episodes in succession, and she's also in Rule of Four, a couple episodes of Breaking Bad. Um, <laughs> so anyways, T. Ryder Smith as Andon. Um, I get very big uh, Sander Cohen vibes from Andon. He is a side character in the first Bioshock game. So I just cast the voice actor for Sander Cohen. It's T. Ryder Smith. He does some live action stuff as well, but that's how I know him. Um, for Count Eondel, I have Gaetano Bruno, who I only know from Fargo Season 4, but he's good in that. Um, for Baron Shudan, I have Dev Patel, who's known for good movies oh. like Slumdog Millionaire um, and other movies like The Last Airbender movie. Um <laughs> For Duke Royale, I feel like he's going to end up being a pretty major character, so I'm going to cast a bigger name for that. I have Steve Buscemi. I'm kind of picturing his uh, Boardwalk Empire vibes um, for that. Uh, he, he's known for being kind of comedic, but he can definitely get more dramatic when he needs to be. Um, so I put him there. Um, he was also in the Fargo movie, so we're just doing a bunch of Fargo today, followed up by Oliver Platt, who was featured in Fargo Season 1 um, as Count Ahan. Um, Alor Platt's been in a bunch of stuff. I love him. He's great. I feel like he and Steve Buscemi could have a lot of fun chemistry. Um, I don't have anyone from Fargo's, uh, seasons two and three. I will be brainstorming to see if I can complete that set throughout the rest of the book. Um, but for Baron Edan, which is different from Idan, I have Billy Magnuson, who's usually pretty comedic, but he also can just play very twitchy and nervous and slightly unhinged. Um... His, his, uh, thinking of how people in this podcast would know him, he is the prince that's not Chris Pine in the Into the Woods movie. Um, oh. And then lastly, as Wern, I have James Cosmo, who has been in a couple things uh, that are fairly high profile. Um, the first thing that comes to mind for me as is Gior Mormont, Jorah's dad on the Night's Watch um, mm -hmm. from Game of Thrones. Um, so in terms of also completing sets, I'll see if I can cast Bella Ramsey anywhere in here and get all of our, our famous Mormonts, uh, in the cast here. But for now, uh, that's who I've got. Okay. That is a, uh, a thorough list. I think I managed to, uh, type everyone and Google for spellings where appropriate as you were going. <laughs> so we got there. But yeah, we can, uh. We, we can backfill the ones that uh, that become particularly impactful. Uh, I did make sure to specify that so far this is just a casting for Wern's face. Uh, if, <laughs> if If, yes. we, if yes. we see yes. the corporeal man himself, we may change our mind on that. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm just going to request that uh, James Cosmo's face be CGI'd okay. onto someone Perfect. else's body. We have that technology. <laughs> like they did in Greece, Rise of the Pink Lady. <laughs> Oh my god, I already forgot about that. That's so... F I love that trivia effect so much. I have to I have to just briefly talk about this. I know nothing about this show, except for this one thing, which apparently an actor just, like, left production five episodes in, and he was, like, a major character. And so I think they wrote out the character pretty quickly, but there was one scene where it was really important that he be there. So... This is a common filmmaking trick if someone can't be on set for some shots. You just film a different person who looks kind of like them from the back. However, from the front, 
they just had to Photoshop a still image of the actor's face onto the fake double actor and just only cut to that shot when absolutely necessary and hope no one noticed. And boy, did people notice. It looks so silly. <laughs> it's incredible. Is it full on Cavill's mustache? It's worse than that. It's worse because it's just a still image of a guy's face on like a like a a moving image. It's like an actual shot of the character moving around. Yikes! If if we're talking about uh, very very poor jobs of replicating an actor who cannot be present, uh, we can go back to uh, one of the the kind of classic examples of so bad it's good. Uh, going to Plan 9 from Outer Space, which uh, was was supposed to star Bela Lugosi in, I guess, what, what became his final role uh, because he died like a month into filming. And instead of what would presumably be the proper way to do it would be to recast the role entirely. You've only filmed for a little bit. Uh, they decided to keep the footage that they shot and replicate everything else with, like you said, either another actor filmed from various angles or from various ways to hide that it's not actually Bela Lugosi. Uh, for example, by having him always standing with something blocking most of his body or holding something in front of him so that he can't really be seen. I believe the replacement actor was like, the director's wife's chiropractor or something stupid <laughs> like that incredible so right no and then they they also uh they also just used footage from other lugosi films that had been cut from those films that they just like bought and cut in <laughs> It was, in fact, the director's wife's chiropractor who I actually just sort of that. stood there with a cape held over his yep. face like a yep. vampire for significant <laughs> portions of the film. Wait, is he even a vampire in the movie called Plan 9 from Outer Space? Or is that just the best they could do with what they had? I don't think he was. Um, he's Bella Lugosi was cast as the old man slash ghoul man. Oh no, there's other vampires in this movie. Maybe he is a vampire. Incredible. So yeah, that's uh, that's one route you can use for casting. We'll, uh, <laughs> we'll go with that. All right. Um, we've had quite a bit of uh, I mean, with with all of these characters being added. We've we've we spent some time on that, uh, but we also had a decent bit of uh, of plot movement with uh, many of our our three characters kind of making significant pushes on plans that we had just barely started to see in previous sections. So uh, as we do go into looking uh, forward to, to trying to predict what we've got next, I think we've got a little bit more meat on the bones to see what we can, we can work from. So uh, do we want to get started with Sam with what you think might be coming up next? Sure. As usual, I've got uh, a small clip of ammo for my sniper rifle. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, uh, let's see. Uh, first off, uh, I think that, you know, Serene made me do a think. Um, I think Iodon somehow made Rayodin get Sheoded 
Maybe he found out about the meetings. I don't know. Um, but regardless of whether or not this is true, uh, using the idea that Iodon killed his own son is going to have a lot of mileage in the Serene sections from here forward, at least for a little while. Um, so do do you think that uh, do you think that Iodon actually was like somehow involved in that process? I think so. I think there might be some kind of like hidden, mysterious, not well understood way to okay. force someone to do it. Okay. I mean, he is the king. He'd probably have the resources to right. If to if anybody would be yeah. able to, if it could happen, he could probably make it happen. Okay. Know. Um, I'm gonna say, uh, Serene's plan to send Ash into the dungeons is going to go badly. Oh yeah, we kind of skipped over that. A Ash is like, <laughs> he's doing some exploring off screen currently. He is doing he's in a spy, spy mode. Yeah. Was that currently, or was that like she's going to make him? I think we. He was poking around Elantris yes. already, and then I think she was going to send him elsewhere. Yeah, to the dungeons. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but here's the thing: Rayodin instantly identified Ian because of the symbol. So I, I feel like it's going to be pretty obvious. <laughs> People are like, "Hey, it's that thing that." Very few people have, <laughs> and it looks like uh, Serene's thing. I don't know. So I, anyway, I think it's going to go poorly. She's either going to discover something that is disconcerting or terrible, or she's going to get discovered herself for snooping around where she couldn't. She okay. shouldn't be snooping. So there you go. Um, the Telri proposal. Hmm. Um. It's cool that uh, he promised Tellery a, a whole bunch of shit without clearing it with the most powerful dude in the world. Uh, probably smart idea on his part. Great. Um, but what is the proposal? Hmm. Um, I think it's pretty obvious what Tellery wants. Uh, and I think it's pretty probable that if anyone can make it happen, good old Hraithan could find a way in the whole process of what's going on. Um, I think that his promise is the that he will make uh, Tellery king after Iodon is overthrown. This is how Tellery can still win. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, the real question here is, will Warren accept the offer? Will he care? Um, I think the most interesting tack to take would be uh, if Warren won't accept it, but Wraithen promises it any anyway, um, I think that'd just be the most interesting way to go. Okay, yeah. But I don't know if it's going to be exactly that. But anyway, I think that's the promise is, hey, I'll make you king. Once uh, shit hits the fan. Or doesn't if I'm successful. But Iodon needs to go anyway. So there you go. Um, as for the escape... Uh, I think that, um, first of all, Riordan's little government thing. I kind of like the city builder aspect. You said city builder. I like it. I like it's city like, builders. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> wasn't there one set in like the medieval times where you, I mean, there's a million sets. Are you thinking times. of Banished? Yes. Yep. The one, the one that Sips played all the time. Banished. Uh, so... 
uh, I like the banished. I like to picture it as banished. Um, because he's banished. Hey, perfect. <laughs> uh, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. Perfect. Uh, I think that uh, I'm I'm flip flopping on the well. I'm, I know I'm flip flopping on the well a lot. Um, th the fact that it was ID'd so clearly as a way out of Elantris, whereas the rest of it is big walls, um, is pretty clear telegraphing. So I think Raiden's going to use the well to escape, but um, he's going to have a plan after he escapes, because otherwise people will just be like, hey, it's that creepy thing that shouldn't be here. Um, so uh, I think he's going to use the well to escape, but then is going to do some sort of aeonic magic to obfuscate his identity. Uh, and then find his lovely wife and uh, deal from there, you know. Uh, Overthrow Iodon or fight Hraithan or whatever the plot develops into. <laughs> but we know that, uh, you know, he's never seen his wife. He wants to figure out what's going on. Uh, and Serene is hunting for him too. So eventually they will find each other. And that's how. Uh, as for Deheresy, um, I think Diloph's definitely going to make his own little sect, uh, the Book of Diloph. Uh, the Book of Diloph. Uh, I think that Hraithan's going to lose his congregation to Diloph, um, and he's going to have to figure out something drastic to get the people back on his side and away from Diloph, who's clearly already taking the wind kind of out of his sails here. Um, uh, Diloph is preaching hard against the Lantrians. So is Hraithan. Um, if Diloph is taking the hardline tact of tack of all Lantrians are terrible, and Hraithan is an opportunist who mostly just sees like the reality of I need to convert everybody. How's how am I going to do that? What's the best way to do that? Um, I think that framing himself as a foil to Diloph's whole preaching of how Lantrians are terrible. Um, would be interesting. So uh, I think that um, he's going to poke around, maybe figure out Iodon's secret, but I think that he's going to somehow find himself becoming a Lantrian. I think I mentioned that last chapter, last section. Uh, but I still think it's true, and I'm just toying with it in my mind. I'm playing with it like a cat with a ball of yarn, <laughs> finding things to connect it to. <laughs> so. All right. So there you go. Um, and that is, I am out. I, you, you heard the Garand ping. Um, cause, yeah. <laughs> so I'm all, all out of ammo. There you go. I do want to say that uh, because of the beginning of this book with its uh, longer chapters that have more content in them, uh, I have completely given up on attempting to actually line up the predictions with the chapter, the, the episodes that we associated them with uh, <laughs> for both of you, because you both have been uh, really uh, going through quite a few possibilities. We'll see if that, if that changes on like episode nine when it's eight chapters or something like that, but just fun things trying to format this sheet. 
All right. Uh, and then, Caleb, what do you have for us this week? I uh, better buckle up on that sheet formatting because mm-hmm. I, I got quite a few here. <laughs> um, I, first off, I just have a couple of like overall notes that aren't actually theories. I just didn't have like time to have the specific thought um, or forgot to say it when it would be appropriate to say it. Um, I'm really liking Rayoden, and I, I think the reason why is that he's basically Ellen, but he just seems like less of a fuckboy. So <laughs> he's just more enjoyable to read. I don't know. Like, he's very, he, there's a lot of similar vibes, but for whatever reason, he clicks with me in a lot of ways that Ella did not. Um, but uh, yeah, that's just a positive aspect of the book. Of, I think Rayoden's a pretty cool character. I'm really enjoying reading about him. I, I agree. I'm, yeah. I'm on Team Rayoden. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing that will inform some of my theories is just the interesting place of of Elantris as a series. Because if I remember correctly, there's purportedly a sequel in the works directly to Elantris. Yes. But it's not out yet, correct? Correct. It, it's yeah. on the... It's on the list of I will write this at some point from Brandon, uh, but it's like far enough out that he hasn't even started talking about when we're going to see it in terms of like dates. Okay, so that's that's just very interesting because I'm thinking back to Final Empire in which Sam and I were so sure, all right, Lord Ruler is our antagonist for the next three books. And then he dies at the end of the first one. And we're like, okay, well, what's what comes next? And the idea of like ruin as an antagonist i don't think there's any point in final empire where you could like definitively point to and go there that sets up who the final antagonist of this trilogy is going to be um and i also you know i'm not like a super i don't follow the fandom really closely because i'm wary of spoilers but i haven't even though people seem to like elantris decently enough i haven't heard a lot of people clamoring for the sequel to come out as soon as possible which tells me that it probably wraps up in a similar way to Final Empire does, where there's a few, like, setups for where the story might go, but as a whole, it feels like a conclusion to a chapter of a story rather than um, being a massive cliffhanger. Um, so just some observations that kind of inform where I think the plot might be going, because we still don't really know what the actual plot of this book is. We have so much set up, and it's very difficult to know exactly where any of it is going. Um so, yeah. Anyways, my first couple of theories have nothing to do with that. Um, Great. The first thing is about Galadon. As I've said before, it would be really cool if he can use Farukami. I don't think he can. I don't know if that's if that if Brandon would have set that up in his very first book that takes place in this universe. But I do think he's still using some very subtle magic, and I'm predicting that. Whatever magic he's using allows him to basically access information about the past, and specifically the past of a location he's in. Okay. So he can't necessarily find out the history about people he's with, because he doesn't know Andon used to be a sculptor. He technically maybe could have figured out about Rayodin, but it seems like he figured that out logically rather than using magic. Um, there's the chance that he did use magic and then pretended to figure it out logically but it seems like that just was a straightforward thing but we've had so many details of how do you know so much about the palace in elantris oh well i've just you know been here for a while except i also haven't been here for a while and how did you know that this was a karathi chapel uh you know just vibes um he just keeps knowing information that it's really strange that he would know and i feel like 
the I, I feel like it'd be really, it would be a really cool magic system that fits with what Galadon knows if he can like be in a place and kind of figure out things about its past because of that. Um, there's one very quick line where he says where uh, Rayodan notes he's also able to predict the rain. So there's a very slight chance Galadon can also access the future. I am much less sure about that, but it's a possibility. But I think it would be really cool, and I think it might be true that Galadon can kind of look into the past of a place he's in. Um, all right, some more plot stuff. Um, there's the mention of, hey, where are all the kids? Oh, well, it's really depressing here in Elantris, and there's like no further details. Um, I think Karata might be using child labor to do whatever she's doing in the palace. I think we're going to get into the palace and be like, oh my god, there's so many kids being used as workers here. How horrible. Um, don't have much further insight as to what Karata is doing, but I think that might be where all the kids keep heading. Um, next, it's briefly mentioned that, um, you know, sometimes the Sions float about uh, aimlessly after someone gets taken by the Shayad, but also sometimes they're destroyed and maybe it's very possible to destroy the Seons but I also think it's possible that someone is hoarding all the Seons and saying oh that one got destroyed but secretly they're holding on to it and I think that's probably either Karata or Iodon um, or maybe both of them because again I think those two might secretly be working together um and then clearly uh, the Fjordel people are hanging on to a couple so they can talk to their Pope with the burner phone. Um, but in terms of like, is anyone hoarding a bunch of them? I think it might be Iodon slash Karata slash both. Um, next question that I think is possible is will Edan, not Idan, Edan, um, betray the party? Because he's very fidgety and seems very nervous about everything going on and seems very hesitant to agree to Serene's plan. Um, I don't think his, I think he might betray the party. I don't think his betrayal will be the end of the world, but I think it will be like, everything seems to be going well. And then all of a sudden, Hraithan finds out something because Edan tattled to Telri, who then told Hraithan, and it puts a wrench in things, um, mm. like at the halfway point of the book. Um, I also am just curious if the land next to uh, the chasm will be important that Edan runs. Probably. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Um, there is a thing that I didn't realize was supposed to be a plot point, but that got brought up twice. And I was like, oh, I guess that may be something, which is when Serene is talking to Kine and goes, someday she would have to find out what happens to his throat. And I read that. I was like, I thought he just had a scratchy throat, but I guess maybe something happened to it. Um, and we've had a lot of talk about Kine being like an adventurer and a rogue and and kind of getting himself into trouble in the past so my guess is that he was like hanged but then it, he didn't actually die from it like he got freed before he actually died or something like that there's I, f I feel like it's caused by some sort of attempted execution that he survived um because apparently something has happened to his throat and i'm guessing it's that because that fits with someone getting into trouble and then finally realizing oh, maybe I should tone it down and try to actually be a member of society. Um, so that's my guess there. It would be a little bit weird because he's apparently using his name. He's not like hiding his identity, but that's that's still my guess. Um, I have a really fun one that could go nowhere. Do but tell. there is the 
there's the line um, they're talking about could Rayoden still be alive? And there's the line, there's always these stories about lost heirs that reappear after 20 years in the wilderness to claim their rightful throne. I don't know if this is going to happen, but I would absolutely love it if that is like galaxy brain foreshadowing for Warbreaker or some other Cosmere book. And that's like a plot point for a different book that we're not going to get to until way down the line. Hmm. Um, I just thought that would be very fun if that was the case. I have no idea if it will be. I don't really know anything about Warbreaker aside from I think there are swords in it. Um, but, uh, yes, I think that'd be really fun. Um, okay, I've got two more big ones. Um, so, according to the Shu Dareth religion, Shu Dareth and Jadeth are the same thing. My theory is that they aren't actually the same thing. And I think Jadeth is this, some creepy monster beneath the earth that has basically co-opted this religion to gain power with the people so that he can rise up and be proclaimed as a god, but he really has nothing to do with the um, Shu Dureth. He did not originally have anything to do with the, the wider religion. Um, again, there's a lot of misborn DNA in uh, Elantris, and I think Brandon thinks it's really cool to have a powerful entity messing with religious texts and messing with um, who people worship so that it can rise to power, and I think Jadith might have a similar... Um, plot stewing there um so here's the thing where it becomes important that elantris has a sequel planned but not come out and a, there's not a lot of people saying i can't wait for it to come out it needs to come out super soon is i'm gonna make a guess i'm sort of guessing it happens in this book but it also seems like something that should it's it's so high scale that it would be wild if it happened in this book and then there's supposed to be more story to go but my guess is, not only is Jadath this evil entity pretending to be Shudareth, I think it's also going to rise out of the chasm at some point and start, it's going to be this big monster that is going to start tearing through the countryside. The name of the book is Elantris, so it's probably going to make a beeline for Elantris and there's going to be a fight there. Um, but that chasm has to be important. And we now have at least one character who might be might turn out to be evil and i could very much see him being like oh now that i've been rewarded i'll return to my plantation and then we get like a very short pov chapter where he's like hey something's coming out of the chasm oh i'm dead uh <laughs> so and that's like the introduction to oh shit the monster has awoken um so could could be way off base there, but I think that could be a thing. Could be interesting. Maybe some of that's true. Maybe none of it's true. Maybe all of it's true. We'll see. Um, and then I have one more theory that's not doesn't have a lot of details, but is something just I, very important to point out. I feel like um, we have mentioned um, how the the tracing of aeons is similar to, or I've mentioned it's similar to Owl House. Justin has pointed out it's similar to other uh, media that perhaps deal with tracing lines and dots. Um, and I, I mentioned last time it would be really cool if like the city of Elantris, we already know it's shaped like an Aeon. It'd be cool if it's literally meant to act as one massive Aeon. And there's a very important detail that I hadn't noticed until now, um, which is that the Aeon in question does not just have the shape of the walls. It also needs a dot. And I don't know if it's going to be used as an escape route or if it's going to be used as part of one giant Aeon to do some really big magic. But if you look at the map, that well we keep talking about, 
sure is a dot right in the middle of the Elantris symbol formed by the walls of Elantris. So I think that well is going to be very, very, very important because it forms the dot of the entire symbol formed by the city of Elantris. Um, so yeah, I just have in my notes in all caps, the well is a dot. I, that's as much detail as I have at this point. Um, but yeah, I hope that well is important because it'd be really cool if it was. And it also just continues to show the importance of checking the maps, kids. <laughs> it's going to pay off at one of these times, and it's going to be great. Check the maps. But yeah, that's all I got. This is a threat. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I I like where we're going here, uh, both in the book and in the, the predictions. Uh, I, I think I agree with, like, we're getting more pieces here now, and we can start trying to to actually predict where they're going and we'll see which of those are actually what we're going to go with. Uh, we did have between the two predictions today, uh, another one that Beth and I thought was going to be uh, big and significant and ended up being merely kind of neat. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see how close we keep dancing around that one. Okay. <laughs> it's not like it's certainly not a a competition between Caleb and Sam, and it's also not a competition between those of us who have already read this and those of us who have not. But there is some element. I think it started in Hero of Ages when both of y'all were just right away. This is Sazed right in the epigraphs, right? There, there's definitely an element of. I hope that this book can get away with some of the twists for a little bit longer, at least. Yeah. <laughs> but like, even if, even if they do end up as an early prediction, it's still fun to see, like, as we read, then let's look at those predictions and see which of them are being confirmed, which of them are being pushed away from and, and where do we end up? So fun either way. All right. Other than that, I think without further ado, we can bring this episode to a close uh, get us all back to doing what we need to do for the rest of the day which may include mm -hmm. reading some more of the book that again is chapters 13 14 and 15 for our episode next week is what we'll be covering and when we do have that episode out it will be available as well as all of our other episodes at alwaysanotherpodcast.com uh, you can get in touch with us in a number of ways, one of which is emailing us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Appreciate seeing those uh, those emails there. Uh, you can also find us on some various social media platforms. We have a Twitter at alwaysanotherpod, uh, an Instagram at alwaysanotherpod, uh, and a Mastodon at alwaysanotherpod at kind.social. So all of those, you can see various kind of bits and pieces from behind the scenes recaps of the episodes tangents that we run off onto all of the above etc etc but other than that i think that will do it for here and uh we can go figure out hopefully not meet another 24 characters in our next section we'll, we'll try to keep it to like three that's that's my budget Three new characters. Yeah. <laughs> we'll Three see. Twenty-four is the highest number. It's a character limit joke in here somewhere, but I'm, I'm out, I'm out of caffeine, so I, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs>